Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fugue for Thought, the podcast. I'm Alan, and uh, this episode is a week late because I was sick last week. Um, I was having trouble, you know, breathing, much less being able to record the intro and the outro. Look for us on Facebook. Look for us in iTunes. Find me at www.fugueforthought.de. Fugue, F-U-G-U-E. Our guest today is cellist Carmine, or Carmine, Miranda. Um, I got in touch with him probably about a month or more ago by this point, uh, and talked about a new release of his, the Schumann and Dvorak Cello Concertos, um, that will be released on June 10th, which um, at the time of this upload is just a few weeks away. So look for that. But in the article on the blog talking about this episode, we chatted a little bit about, or I wrote a little bit about, Carmine's idea of a cipher, a secret code in classical music. Now, codes and ciphers and secrets and things are stuff that uh, people get all excited about for spy movies, whatever. But... What place do they have in classical music? Well, um, you know, there's the Bach motif, B-A-C-H. And if you're familiar with Shostakovich, there's his D-S-C-H motif. So if you know about any of that, um, you might be a little bit familiar with the idea behind um, Carmine's research into the Schumann concerto. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. Let's get started. Hello, I have Carmine Miranda with me. How are you? Very good, very good. Uh, it's my pleasure to uh, to be speaking with you right now. I'm I'm really excited. I had a chance to listen to the album that you have coming up, and and also to read uh, the write up about the Schumann Concerto. I actually saw it in a library here. Uh, is it the Musical Times? Is that what it is? That's correct. It, it was published uh, by the um, Musicological Journal. Uh, called the Musical Times in the uh, United Kingdom. So I was, I think it was maybe a day or two after you and I had kind of sent a couple of emails. I was in the the local, we have a, a music, a performance library here with, with hundreds of thousands of CDs and books and scores and things. And I walked by and I saw a, a periodical called the Musical Times on the shelf. And sure enough, I opened it up and there you were. There you go. Uh, so... <laughs> So I had a chance to uh, to read your your discussion of of the Schumann Concerto and and quite quite in depth, yeah, uh, with yeah. The, the all of the detail about his what's the word cipher kind of the coding uh, cryptography behind it. Um, so on the the when is the album coming out? The album will be released on June tenth, and and this is not your first album, correct? I've released, um, I did an album, I can't remember, I think it was in 2013 of the, uh, I recorded all the uh, six cello suites by Johann Sebastian Bach, and then I uh, recorded all 12 uh, caprices by uh, Alfredo Piatti, who was, you know. That's, yes. Yeah, it's um, a a very important figure in the world of of cello playing. And I saw that that one got, because I was I was looking around, that got some also some um, very good feedback as well. And I'm I'm not familiar with with him or or the works, but I see the I see the name come up in discussions of cello. So so yeah, like you said, important. Yeah, yeah, very important. I mean, he's basically our equivalent to uh, Paganini. So the the okay. twelve caprices are are equivalent to the twenty four caprices that Paganini wrote for the violin. Got it. 
Yeah. And and so um, they're they're kind of they're they're etude. They're kind of practice pieces. Kind of kind of show off. Type. Well, they, that's one of the misconceptions with with this repertoire, and and this is one of the, you know, that was one of the primary reasons why I uh, I decided to record them because you know they've had this stigma throughout you know throughout time of of you know pieces that are you know they, they've been considered etudes, but in reality they are performance pieces, or they, they were meant to be you know uh, played in in a performance setting, and they are. Uh, yeah, sure, you know, virtuosic uh, uh, and, and difficult and all of that, but at the end of the day, they're meant, they were meant to be uh, for always performed as, uh, you know, in, in a concert scenario. Right. So it just so happens that, um, you know, the music also is a, is a very great tool for us cellists to, um, you know, to understand certain technical things. But unfortunately, uh, people have been treating them as etudes rather than performance pieces. You know, right. even at some, you know, international competitions require these pieces um, to be performed, but as an etude, you know, right. and, and uh, th there is a very clear difference. You know, why is Johann Sebastian's, you know, why are the, the cello suites performed but not the caprices in that, you know, in this kind of um, uh, sense? And, and And Alfredo was also... Uh, inspired by by Bach and 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 many other composers, you know Paganini as well, and, and Corelli and so on and so forth. So um, that's one of the main points that I wanted to make with this particular record. I, I see. And so so then after that, now we have uh, an album of two concertos. <laughs> that's right. They, and and so of of the two, the the Dvorak um, is, is one that kind of at least in my impression of, of seeing lots of albums of cello recordings, lots of people record the Dvorak, right? That's, that's correct. And, and so, um, but, but the Schumann, not so much. Is that, is that true? Is it kind of a, a little more of an outlier in the repertoire? Well, yeah, yes and no. You know, the, the, the Schumann is, is a very, very interesting piece because for the past, I would say, um, you know, more or less 30, perhaps 40 years, it, it has been gaining or it has gained notability and, and, you know, has become part of the, uh, of the cello repertoire, but it's not such a popular piece as the, uh, Warjack cello concerto or hiding, you know, the right. hidden cello concerto and so on and so forth. Uh, part of this reason has to do with, um, the, the fact that, uh, in my opinion, this particular piece has been uh, misinterpreted by, uh, you know, by a lot of critics and, 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 and people, you know, throughout time. And it has this stigma of um, a piece that is not as virtuosic, is uh, pretty, you know, straightforward in the German style. And, sure. and uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I've heard all kinds of things. I've heard people sure. calling boring this and that you know and that it's really not the case it's the other way around well if that's kind of been in the past the the response or the, the feeling toward toward the work how did you get started with with learning the schumann concerto and becoming familiar with it well i've been a very big fan of schumann's uh since i was a little kid and also the vorjak and, and as a matter of fact it, it, it was the vorjak cello concerto that made me want to become a soloist and, oh, wow. uh, and pursue a career as, as a soloist. Uh, really, I think the one of the first 
classical music pieces that I ever heard when I was a little kid was the uh, the New World Symphony by Borjak. Sure. And, and then, you know, back in the day, I went to a record store and, you know, I started looking for recordings because I was so impressed. I actually um, saw a commercial, like a, like a Lexus, a car commercial, something like that, you know, on uh, TV. Sure. And, and they, you know, they were playing the, uh, the Ninth Symphony. And I was just so impressed by it. And it, it gave me such a, an amazing feeling inside that I just, you know, I, I asked my dad if, um, you know, m- my dad was a very... Uh, a uh, big fan of music and he collected recordings. And so I, I, I grew up, you know, with my dad taking me to record stores. So immediately he, he took me to like a, like a local store and we just started looking for recordings. Uh, I came across, uh, you know, a recording of the, uh, of the word that Philip and Sheridan, this is what made me uh, want to become a soloist. And, and the same happened with, um, with Schumann. Interesting. And this, this is the piece that I, uh, you know, I, I, I connected with not only musically, but also, you know, I, I connect with the, um, uh, I guess, the pain. And I guess, uh, I don't want to call it the tragedy right. that Schumann, on, on, you know, underwent in, in his life. But uh, it, it's quite a, a, a touching story, you know, his story. And uh, I mean, if, if you want me to, you know. Well, I think it is. I think it is kind of tragic. Um, there's, you know, he had his, uh, maybe not as tragic as some others, but but he certainly had his, especially later in his life, he had his difficulty. Um, it, it's a late piece of, of Schumann's, right? That's correct. And so um, I understand it was not performed in his lifetime. No, no, no. It, it wasn't performed until um, much later. And... Um, Talking about you know his his life a little bit because I think this is important to talk about so that um, maybe your listeners and 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 people can understand a little bit more about the composer. You know he was a guy that throughout his life he wanted to become or he wanted to become a great composer. You know he he wanted to follow in the footsteps of a great master, especially Beethoven. And you know he just had certain dreams and certain things for, you know, for his life and his career. But one of the most important things or the most influential thing that happened with him is, is that he fell in love with uh, what later on became his wife. Uh, her name was uh, Clara B. Schumann. Yes. And, uh, and while he was, he actually started studying with Clara's uh, father, who was a, a piano instructor at the time. And, you know, Clara's father never approved of that relationship. And so, gosh, I mean, there, there are so many um, stories about, you know, this sort of rocky relationship that, sure. that happened between him and Clara uh, when they were young. And, um, you know, to the point that they, they at times had to meet, you know, in secret, like in, 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 in different places, because, it, it, you know, they were both afraid that her father would, you know, find out that, uh, or, or people would find out that they would be meeting. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it was a complicated thing, which in my opinion, and this is my, my personal opinion, you know, uh, I think that part of this uh, contributed towards his mental uh, breakdown that happened at the end of his life. Sure. I could, I could see how. Yeah. And, and so speaking of, speaking of Clara, actually, um, in, in other folks' discussions of, of the piano concerto and actually of a lot of his music, she's 
she's the center of like his entire career. He, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yes. and it's the case with the cello concerto as well, right? It's the same. It's the same. I mean, uh, Schumann, and, and that's another thing that I find very beautiful is the fact that typically, <laughs> especially nowadays, right? Um, with the divorce rates going up, um, I don't know, I guess with time, in my opinion, it shouldn't be like this, but with time, when people get married, uh, you know, they start, they start bickering more and they start, you know, fighting and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, and there are a lot of relationships who eventually get tired of each other. Right. Uh, The the beautiful thing with, with him uh, and his story is that, you know, with time, his, his love and his, you know, I guess his obsession that he had for his wife you know just just only grew stronger and stronger and stronger right to the point that i mean clara um suffered a lot uh, because of you know his, his conditions and uh and and was always trying to help him out you know she was a you know she clara is considered one of the first among one of the first female uh instrumentalists like soloists you know like taking right. rock stars back in the day <laughs> And she had to, uh, at a certain point in her, in, her, in her life, she had to stop her career, you know, her her dreams to help out, you know, her her husband. Right. And if it wasn't for her, uh, which when you know Schumann died, she performed, you know, she basically made a case to just perform as as much of his of her um, uh, husband's music as possible. And I think that this is one of the reasons. Or, or a contributing factor of why now you know we know of Schumann as a composer that he was. I mean, Clara played a very important role in in his life, and sure. uh, to the extent that you know this love or this obsession with her was uh, the center of many of his compositions, including the uh, the cello concerto, and that was also my point in the article that I wrote. Right. And and one of the things I, I want to say that, that you, you mentioned it in, in your article, which was very detailed. Uh, I read it a couple of times. It was very detailed um, that the the falling. Was it a fifth? Was it a major fifth? That interval. Right. Kind of the Clara, the, the rep, kind of representation of, of the saying of her name. And I want to say <laughs> I had heard that also. I want to say I had also heard that attributed to um, to the piano concerto. So that's kind of a maybe a, a more accessible or a starting point for kind of how he has put her into the work. Right. Well, that's essentially what started out this particular um, descending fifth, um, you know, motion is what started out a, a myth that we know we cellists know about, which is that um, we thought that, or we think that um, the uh, second movement was written for uh, for Clara, and the, the descending fifth m- motive had to do with her name. It had to have some sort of relationship with her, due to the fact that he used it in in, in many different um, works. And um, and and with this article that I wrote, you know, um, essentially it proves, I guess, this um, not a theory, but this um, hypothesis that. It, it it is a fact, you know. It is a fact that 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 uh, that the Schumann did indeed write and write the concerto, and the concerto is uh, essentially based, in my opinion, is a it's, it's a conversation between him, his two alter ego personalities, and, and yep. his his wife. 
and and they as was it uh, what are their names Eusebius and um and Floriston. Yeah, and, and so and so they show up in his his music reviews, his articles that he wrote and then in other, you know, they're not they're not new to his his works either, right? No, 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 it's nothing new, it's nothing new, of course. So so we have um we have Clara showing up in in a few different places in the concerto. Now, I don't have, you know, we don't have a a Listeners probably don't have the score in front of them, but in the article, you have the score excerpts showing some of the the passages in the in the cello of you know where these these motifs show up. What are some of the the other key ideas in how he works her name uh, into the work? Well, the 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 primary thing, you know, the the remarkable thing about this is that uh, we know that Schumann had a fascination of of you know, encoding messages and, uh, but well, he, he had a fascination for cryptography. Uh, it's been disputed in the past that even though Schumann had this fascination, he was, a lot of uh, writers have, and historians have critiqued Schumann, called him essentially a, a poor cryptographer on, on the, on the uh, fact that he, in a lot of his compositions, you know, that, that we know where he included messages, he gives the message away in the title right. of a piece, uh, carnival, abec uh, variation, so on and so forth. Sure. I mean, these are you know pieces where where he uh, or you know he 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 is not subtle at all in uh, including these you know these messages. But um, the remarkable thing about the cello concerto is that well, first of all, human beings we are we are creatures of habit. Uh, most likely, if if he was uh, fascinated by by including Clara's name into his compositions, and and uh, who was fascinated by cryptography, he would have done it with the uh, cello concerto, especially um, when there is this myth, you know, going around that, uh, that that the second movement was dedicated to to his wife. What, and why am I saying this? Is because the way that he um, puts the name of, of his wife inside of a piece is, is, is very simple yet uh, uh, an ingenious uh, way. It's like a you know, it's like a big puzzle and all the pieces essentially fit together. Yeah. That was uh, the impression that I got of, of listening right, to the, right. uh, the article. So, so the, the main material, the main thematic material. So the main melody of the, um, of the cello concerto is based on, only three notes, E, A, C, that's it. And then it gets um, uh, expanded by adding a, a B to uh, the, the cello line. So in essence, the, uh, the, the main material is uh, E, A, B, C. And so these three notes or these four notes, when uh, paired against what it's called a, um, an English key, which is a method of of deciphering a, a method of encoding something, you know, right. encoding uh, material is, is, ba- is basically, a, a, it's called in reality, it's called a substitution ciphering and ciphering method. And, and, right. and this has been very popular throughout history. As a matter of fact, this was uh, very common during World War II uh, where, um, you know, enemies would encrypt messages in, in literature so that either side, you know, wouldn't be able to, uh, get intel or information, so on and so forth. So this is this is nothing new, you know. Right. So Schumann used a similar method, but 
in, in music, and, and it's, it is called the, uh, the English key. And what it is essentially is each uh, letter of, of each note is, well, th- there is a scale from uh, a diatonic scale from A to G, and then right. every, every single uh, letter is continued underneath that, that scale of the alphabet. Okay. Beyond G. Be, uh, beyond G. Right. So you get from A to G, and then beyond G, you just continue the alphabet. I mean, it's very simple. And so what, what this does is that it gives the, uh, the composer the, the, uh, or whoever wants to encode something the, the ability to um, encode um, a, a variety of, of, of messages and letters and so on and so forth. But, you know, it, it, it all has to do with interpretation and, and encipherment. So it so happens that uh, after analyzing the, uh, the, 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 me- the melody and the score, essentially those four notes or those three notes, he encoded Clara Schumann's full name, the, every first letter of her name in, in those three, in that three note motive. So essentially Clara, Josephine, Vic, Schumann. And and that's how he he encoded this um, you know her name into into the music. And to add to this, he also includes the uh, first letters of his alter ego personalities, Eusebius and and Floriston. Right. And and so this the, the, this idea and and listening um, listening to the work and then and then reading your exp- a very detailed explanation of, of like you said with the letters and then how they they show up in in the cello line and all of these things um, how, how does that inform the interpretation of the piece so you're you're you know playing a, a cello concerto the Dvorak the Haydn they don't have any um, you know cryptography associated with them how does how does this kind of program or this cryptography thing inform your performance of the work well i i i want to say to to this that and i mean this has really it's not that it has nothing to do with me but i i am a strong believer that a, that a great musician whether you know the musician has a doctor or a master's or or you know has been to a conservatory or not right, right. a good musician a person who really understands music uh, is able to really get what a composer or what uh, a producer, you know, is trying to do musically, regardless, you know, uh, there is this sort of innate, um, uh, you An know, understanding, understanding that, that comes with not only experience, but also comes with uh, this sensibility that, that a musician should have for understanding what goes beyond uh, a, a sheet of paper. Sure. And so, you know, yeah, I did have my, um, my hunches, you know, uh, and, <laughs> right. uh, and certain gut feelings about it, you know, based off of my experience as a performer and, and, um, you know, and, and, and researching and so on and so forth. But, uh, what the discovery did for me is that it, it definitely, set in stone and it was a, a confirmation that certain things that I was, uh, that I was feeling and uh, that I thought about uh, when I looked at the score, you know, I, I was going in, in, in the right path. Right. And so this, uh, this discovery also um, helped to power the, the interpretation that I did because uh, I, I, w- I looked at the piece in, in a different light of what, you know, other people 
have been saying about it, you know, and, and, and especially what I realize is that this is a piece that is not only extremely virtuosic to play, you know, to play well, when, when it's played well, it's, it's extremely virtuosic. It requires a, a, a great deal of, of concentration from the artist because it's a piece that has no, you know, no breaks. So from beginning to end, it's a right. continuous thing. Uh, it's it's essentially a variation on a theme of by Clara. So it's a very the piece is is based off a variation of this theme. So this theme gets buried throughout the entirety of a piece. Um, right, and and in the title of the work, actually, he didn't he didn't, he didn't title he didn't it as a concerto, exactly, right? Exactly. He didn't he, originally he didn't title it as a concerto. He, he titled it as concert piece. You know, so so that's another indication that Schumann wanted to break. You know this this. Um, uh, you know this tradition or this this form of of you know writing like a proper cello concerto in three movements. Sure. You know, so so originally he wrote it as a, as a concert piece, and it, it was always meant to be played from beginning to end. Another thing is the influence that uh, that this piece has from the the great Italian masters, you know, opera masters. Uh, uh, Schumann often used to. Um, quote Bellini you know in, in his letters to, to Claire and so on and so forth so in my opinion this piece is very operaic more than anything else it's like a you know like a mini opera sure uh, from, from, from beginning to end and yeah. and it's a constant conversation between the the solo cello line and all the other uh lines in the in in the symphony and so th- this this discovery basically set in stone this this uh, this idea that oh okay you know I I understand why he, he wants this tempo to be like this. I understand why the, you know, the, well, that's another thing that, that the piece has been critiqued for, by the way, that I forgot to mention, that uh, is the work of, of, you know, people have been saying that it's essentially the work of a person who went insane uh, due to the fact right. that, you know, Schumann, you know, starts a melody and then he all of a sudden he, he interrupts it or he stops. And so there's this constant stop and go going on. You know, but but it's not because of, in my opinion, it's not because, you know, his mental condition is not really reflected in the piece as much as, uh, you know, his ability to, I mean, it's remarkable to me. I mean, if he indeed had, you know, um, a mental condition, the, the mute, you know, he had an amazing ability to control this. Uh, in in the uh, in the music, you know, the, there and is focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's this, this this remarkable focus because every little thing that he does in the piece is is highly calculated. And so the reason right. why there you know there are abrupt uh, you know stops, endings, and uh, so on and so forth is because uh, the, the the composer intended it to be like that because he based the the piece on, on a on a framework that he was working with, you know, which was essentially his wife's name. Right. Um, and so some of those kind of those, those, I guess, critiques or criticisms um, of the work by, by certain people then I guess kind of start to make sense when, when you look at it from that angle that, that kind of, that was his agenda behind it. Well, those critiques never made sense to me and, and sure. they still don't make sense to me because uh, you know, there are critiques based on, on, people in my opinion just just skimming through the surface and not really you know asking why you know right. it's just very very easy to just call somebody crazy just because you know they're they're different you know uh, or they're doing something completely out of the norm sure uh, that, that's just the the easy route but it is difficult to sit down you know analyze something for years and and figure figure this stuff out 
<laughs> you know what I mean? No, that makes sense. Right. Well, something you, you mentioned earlier, you said people kind of criticized him for being a poor cryptographer because he kind of, you know, he kind of gave his, gave his plots away. But, but it, it would seem to me that, um, you know, number one, he wasn't a spy. It wasn't like he had a, a little no, no, secret of to, to give to someone. <laughs> so, so from the standpoint of a composer, like the, his, his opus one is the Abegg Variations, right? He, he gives right. away in the title. That almost seems like a logical thing to do for a composer who says, like you said, a theme of variations where this is our idea and this is what we're going to play with. Exactly. Exactly. It, that, that's a thing. You know, the transparency the, the seems that, like a good thing. Right. You know, so some people treat it as, as, a, as, as if this is some big conspiracy or something like that. And there's nothing, <laughs> right. I mean, there's nothing new about encoding things in music or, or, uh, you know, including, uh, this symbology in, in, in art form. I mean, look, symbol, symbology has been uh, an, a very important part of any, any art form out there. It's always been like that. Uh, it, it's important in religions. It's important in, in, in certain societies. As a matter of fact, I mean, America was, you know, it, everywhere you go, there is, there are symbols and we, we see it even in, in, in today's, uh, well, I mean, besides that, I mean, we just see it everywhere. I mean, just uh, logos and you know, companies yeah, and logos and so on and so forth. So, so you know, that's just the way of of human expression. You know, that's that's just an, another way of of, of people um, expressing themselves with uh, other members of their group or or other people that understand. You know. Right. Um, and so uh, then in, in that context, I guess it makes sense because because for for this this composer, this man. Clara was was the only person in his life. I mean, she was everything. Exactly. You know, she she was the only thing that you know, she meant the world to him. And what about the so the the structure of the uh, of the concerto, this the the middle movement where we have this very interesting, a, a very literal dialogue between the soloist and the the principal cello. Right. Is is uh, maybe you know the the easiest or most obvious kind of kind of representation of this. A, a love letter to his wife, a, a dialogue, uh, that interaction. It's an, and it's an interesting sound as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the way that I, that I always interpret it. And, uh, and there is something remarkable that happens in this. It, it, essentially, this is a, a cello trio that, that it's happening. The, the, the solo cello part plays two notes and the, uh, the principal cellist of the, of the ensemble plays, uh, you know, another line. So, so there are three lines going on at the same time. And, uh, you know, I've always interpreted this as this conversation between him and his wife. And, and after doing a, a careful analysis of, of this particular trio, you know, thematic material that is going on in, in the second movement, uh, I came to the realization that uh, he, he starts it with a, um, with a third and then, uh, and then he finishes it with a, um, a seventh, you know, creating tension, and then concluding with a third. Uh, analyzing it with the uh, with the English key, it it uh, it shows that uh, not only he is phonetically including the phonetics of the of the name Clara, you know, la right. in, in solfege it would be la fa, so Clara, you know, and so on and so forth. Basically, he's he's just. Uh, 
it's a conversation between his wife and, and himself. You know? and, and so after kind of the, the first movement of, of this of this concerto, we suddenly we get to the second movement and it's this very intimate kind of passage. It's a, it's a very unique, it, it's a really interesting, very effective writing. I really enjoyed that, uh, that, that movement. Right. They're all, they're all played, they're all played together, right? It's, it's from beginning to end. It's one, everything. It's, it's, it's meant to be one, one, one continuous thing. I mean, a lot of people argue that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's clear that the the piece is based on three major major sections, but they they're you know they're bridge materials in between. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was not not long ago. We I was um, having some correspondences with the uh, the great cellist uh, Stephen Isserlis. Oh wow, who, um, I've chatted with him before actually too. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a phenomenal he's so cellist nice. and uh, yeah, a very very nice guy. And he himself is also um, a very uh, so. So I understand, you know, he, he's he's uh, he's very passionate about Schumann himself, and he believes that also uh, the bridge material between the first and and and, and second movement has some sort of uh, meaning to it. And and uh, you know, I, I'm sure it does because uh, you know, essentially what Schumann does is he finds this mold to encode material. And what he does is he just keeps repeating it, you know, keeps repeating the same structure throughout the entire piece. So, you know, for the purpose of my article, I, you know, I I had to uh, summarize the example. So, I mean, you can write an entire book about this. I'm sure it would be great if if more people could expand on my, you know, on my work and also find, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are more hidden messages in other, um, uh, compositions of this, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Sure. Well, so you mentioned you mentioned earlier um, that you know people kind of just attribute this to kind of the work of just kind of being a crazy guy, but it it does some of it does sound a little bit like the kind of obsession. Well, yeah, it's like well, okay, a little bit off of you know what I mean. <laughs> no, sure. I mean, you you could argue. You could argue, right, that his, you know, this this incessant obsession with his wife, you know, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's crazy. It just depends on, on how you see it. But when it comes to a uh, theoretical, you know, that's something that I can't, you know, I'm not a psychologist. And you you wouldn't believe how many theories and, you know, psychologists and historians, they've, they've been trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with him. You know, and, <laughs> right. and I know, I've heard and read of all kinds of articles and stories. Maybe he had a multi, a multiple personality disorder or um, uh, maybe he had Alzheimer's. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of theories, but the, the sure. reality is that we, we don't have a time machine. We don't really know what what was what was going on. Yeah, we you can't. Uh, unfortunately, they, you know, Schumann did, did not have a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you know, with him that was able to work with him. But but at the end of the day, from a uh, you know from a scholarly uh, analytical point of view, when you analyze the piece, when the piece is analyzed, essentially the uh, the, the musical things that are attributed to him to his uh, mental deterioration, they're unrelated because, you know, once you see that he's, he's essentially establishing a structure, you, you start understanding that as a, as a performer, but also as a historian, that the decisions that he made 
where because of the fact that he was trying to fit everything in within a, a, a structure or encoding something. So, so it has no relationship with his mental uh, decay. I mean, it's sure. just remarkable that the guy was able to you know, keep, keep his stuff together. You know, <laughs> right. Like What's kind of fascinating to me, too, is that we have all of the, you know, these symbols of, of different people and his spellings and things to work in. And, and on the one hand, if you hadn't ever heard the work and you listened or you read an analysis like that that said that he, he put forth such effort to, to spell this and to represent this and to spell that, right. it, might be, it might be easy to think that it, the whole thing sounds kind of forced, but you listen to it and it is beautiful music. Yeah, it, it's, incredible. it's incredibly lyrical. And, and, and I think that lyricism is, is the main thing that, that powers the, uh, the, the piece. And that's a point that he, you know, e- even though it's such a um, structured piece, it, it just flows, in my opinion, you know, it just flows seamlessly. It, it, it just has to do with the performance and who, and, and who can, you know, convey these things musically. Right. If if people perform it, you know, like an etude, well, you know, it's going to sound like an etude at the end of the sure. day. Well, speaking of speaking of that kind of technically, I, I want to say I think it was about the I want to say it was about the piano concerto, but I believe he's mentioned it about this as well, where Schumann said that he he can't write for for virtuosos that he kind of has to do something different. Um, you know, his his wife was the piano virtuoso, not not so much himself. And so, what what kind of uh, virtuosic aspects are there to this work? Because Schumann was not a cellist. Well, for not being a cellist, I think he really understood um, <laughs> the cello very well. Uh, he was not a cellist, but the cello was his second favorite instrument. And okay. uh, there are some talks that he might have taken off, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he might have played a little bit, you know. I mean, there are all kinds of, again, all kinds of theories. But, sure. but we do know, we do know that he, he had a, a fascination for, for the cello. After, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Schumann injured his... Um, his ring, one of his, you know, his ring finger. Right. And when he was younger, you know, he was essentially trying to play with, with weights, uh, all kinds of like weight. Me- I think it was like a weight mechanism it, that, you know, in his head, he thought he would improve like, you know, muscle. Um, like physical you know, therapy make, or something. Yeah, yeah like we'll, we'll make the, the muscles in his hands, you know, um, stronger. And right. he ended up injuring his, his hand and he wasn't able to play the piano uh, as he once used to. So when, when this happened, you know, he started really um, um, looking at the cello as well. So to, uh, you know, to answer your question, the virtuosity, uh, look, uh, the, 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 the melodies are, are you know, he, he puts so many jumps. I mean, the, the perfect example is the, the beginning, or the beginning of what, what people consider the, the third movement right at the beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. it, Trust me, it's not easy <laughs> to uh, play. You know those ascending arpeggios, and then and then you know uh, land on the on the F E melody at the speed that he wants it, and then you know more and more and more you know jumps and so on and so forth. So like it, it, throughout the piece, the melody in the cello line just is constantly jumping from low registers to high registers, and and it requires a great deal of, of concentration and from the cellist a, a great control of the instrument to be able to make those, uh, those notes speak um, right. properly. Is, is uh, it an awkward, is, is some of the writing awkward? Very, or awkward, just, very, yeah. <laughs> sure, very, very awkward. And, and that's another reason why, um, uh, you know, it's been crit- critique because, sure. uh, 
people consider it awkward. It is awkward, but at the same time, it isn't. To me, uh, you know, it isn't awkward. I mean, it, you just have to dedicate, uh, you know, a few hours of practice, and then you sure. know, and, and uh, difficulty is comes with the refinement process. You okay, know, right. it's not, you know, yeah, sure. And anybody with the right amount of time can, you know, can get all the notes. Make um, the sounds, yeah. Right. You know, it could be it could be the Schumann, it could be the Vorjak, it could be Piatti, it could be whatever. But the difficulty comes in, in you know, into um, refining those passages to be be able to convey, you know, those those things, those lines. You know, he, he writes in, in, in many different lines uh, and, and, and the cellist has to be able to, you know, convey these things. Uh, from from a te- technical but also musical point, right? And so yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not easy to play this piece well. It seems like it sits very high in the cello register. No, if just, very, from, just from, even just from listening is very high. It seems like that. Sure, um, sure. And, and is that in the in the second movement with the um with the two cellos, the the soloist and the the principal cello? Uh, this dialogue that they have. How are their registers? Um, situated so that they're both still sounding independent. Well, the uh, in the solo cello line, well, the, the, the registers are placed in the I guess what you would call the sweet spot of uh-huh. of the of, of the instrument, which is the the middle register. I don't know how I feel about you know about calling it the sweet spot because you know a good cellist can make you know any register sound <laughs> right, you know, sound just as good. But but I guess there is a uh, you know, a, a more natural reg. Uh, the middle register is, is is a register that where the cello can speak uh, its best. If, right. if you you know, if if I have to sort of like dumb it down, you know. Sure. And uh, well, Schumann places you know both lines in in the middle slash you know lower register in the uh, in the um, uh, principal uh, cellist uh, line, and so this this gives a lot of room, you know, for 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 both cellists to to play around with with colors and uh, and give it more of a vocal quality to it but but you can also do it in 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 the higher registers as well it, it just has to do with how the melody is structured you know right so you've been even playing this work for some time now oh i've i've, I've been playing but again you know th- this is uh, these are pieces that are that are part of our uh, you know repertoire right uh, as cellist and uh, i I've been working hard enough since I was a little kid to compile a, a big list of repertoire pieces that I, you know, that I've been playing all my life. And, you know, the, these concerti are very special to me. Um, and, I've, you know, I've been playing them for, for, for a while, but they're very special to me. They, they have a special place in my heart. What about um, there was, is it the fantasy Stuck that, that Schumann wrote for, I believe, originally for clarinet. It is often played on cello and piano. Is it? Is that Opus seventy three? I think. Mm-hmm. It, how is it? How does that relate to the the cello writing? How does it relate to to this concerto? Are there any similarities? The thing is that uh, you know Schumann has his his leader moments. You know his, his German uh, right. vocal moments, and and then he has you know he he writes pieces where. He has influences by other other cultures. The, the cello concerto, in my opinion, is is um, it's influenced by not so much the German culture, but uh, and, and leader 
as much as uh, Bellini and, and, you know, an opera singing. So, so it's kind of uh, sure, you know, you can't expect the composer to sound like, you know, you can't expect Schumann to sound like Schumann and Vivaldi to sound like Vivaldi and so on and so forth. But uh, I wouldn't expect from a composer to write many different works, you know, and, and, and sound the same or be inspired sure. by the same thing, you know? Sure. Yeah. Because cause th- in thinking, of, in thinking of, of, of Schumann and the cello, that was the only other, that was the only other thing that, that came to mind. Except for, I guess, his, he, has a, he has a set of kind of also sort of neglected uh, string quartets. Uh, the opus, the opus forty-one. I don't see very often on on programs. Um, but but aside from that, I guess not much other stuff specifically for cello. Well, there there is an there is um, an account that uh, he wrote a couple of pieces for uh, for cello that uh, <laughs> Clara and and Brahms, you know, because Brahms was a very good uh, friend of the Schumann family and right. was also a good friend of uh, Borja as well. Yes. But uh, when uh, Schumann passed, uh, Clara uh, apparently burned a bunch of his music because she thought it was, you know, it didn't reflect him in 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 in, a, in good light, you know. And and some of those works were written for cello as well. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So I guess none of those. So there's there's just just accounts of them, no manuscripts. Uh, as far as I mean, as far as we know. What we have available is what what we know, you know. But uh, but there's there's some some accounts that there might be, or there were some pieces that are lost, you know, and got burned. Interesting. Well, I guess that's 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 kind of a, a tragedy that it seems to come across. I, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody you know found something. But as far as we know, there's you know there's nothing. Right. Well, that's kind of a shame. That'd be you know always interested, curious to to hear about like. Um, Oh, I don't know. You know, Sibelius having finished his eighth symphony or Beethoven works. Or, you know, what would what would that have been like? Later, later works from from folks. But um, you know, what a nice thing to to at least have a cello concerto. Yeah, exactly. And what a fine cello concerto it is. Um, I have had the pleasure of listening both to uh, Carmine Miranda's performances of uh, the Schumann as well as the Dvorak, which we did not talk about in this episode. Uh, the album is released on June 10th. Um, I will have all of Carmine's information in the description of this episode, where you can find him online, where you can find him on Facebook, where you can buy the album, all of those things. Um, he tells me it's going to be on sale basically everywhere uh, books or music are sold. So uh, look for it there. And uh, we still have the second half of our conversation uh, about the Dvorak Cello Concerto, and then just overall about the recording process in general and how they approached it and uh, what that experience was like. So uh, that'll be coming in a future upload, so stay tuned for that. Go find Carmine on Facebook and go find me on Facebook. Um, like and subscribe in iTunes, share with your friends and post, you know, reshare, whatever, all of those things. Um, and that's going to be it for now. See you guys next time.